Welcome to The Lit Review, a podcast sparked by a moment of urgency, recognizing mass political education as key for our liberation struggles. Every week, your hosts, Paige May and Monica Trinidad, will chat with people we love and respect about relevant books for the movement. Everything from history to theories around gender to sci-fi and beyond. We know that political study is not accessible for a variety of reasons. The high cost of books, academic jargon, the failures of our underfunded school systems, time barriers, etc. Our hope is that this podcast helps address some of those issues, making critical knowledge more accessible to the masses. Think SparkNotes in podcast form. I'm one of your hosts, Paige May. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Lit Review. It's Paige and I'm here with two of my favorite people in the world. Um, You're going to get to hear all about them in just a few, but we are with very special guests talking about a very, very special book. Um, And so I'm with Imani Council and Patricia Frazier, um, who are two people that I know through the organization that we're all a part of. It's called Asada's Daughters, but they are up to amazing things outside of that space and I'll let them introduce themselves. Um, But then the book is Asada's autobiography. Um, So this is one that uh, has been really important to me, has been important to a lot of people that we know, and I'm very, very stoked to talk to to these two amazing, brilliant young women about um, what they've learned and what they think and what they remember. And yeah, how y'all doing? Hi. Okay, well, my name is Imani, and I'm 17, and I go to South Shore, and I'm about to leave instantly you know i'm going to attend uic in illinois um and i work two jobs and i love reading so i guess that's the reason why i'm here hi i'm patricia i'm 19 i go to columbia college here in chicago i write poems (laughs) and sometimes i teach them to people and that's it they're amazing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So um, I actually don't know when you all read this book, so I'm curious. Uh, what led you to read this book? What were you up to? What were you doing? Why did you read it? Um, I was really first introduced to this book. I wasn't a part of Asada's yet. I had friends, uh, my best friend currently, who was in Asada's, and she was entranced by this book. Mind you, I didn't know who Asada was at all. And uh, when they finally told me to, you know, join Asada's and, you know, because they told me that I was asleep or whatever they told me. So they told me to join Asada's and I really thought about it. And at first I wasn't going to read the book at all because, you know, I was really entranced, like backed up like with school and stuff like that. But I guess when the summertime came and I really had anything to do, I picked up the book and I couldn't pick it. Pick it. Wow. I couldn't put it down. It was it was something new. I learned more about myself than I thought I did. What about you? I read this book because I was told to by Paige. Um, I read it a while ago, though. Like, with coming back to it through Asada Zada's, like, periodically. But the first time I read it was when I joined Asada's, which was almost two years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the reason that I, like enjoy it so much is because even though I really like reading I never like once I'm done with the book I never really pick it back up or like reinvestigate it and I think this was the only book that like for like 
in that time um that I like like you said Amani not wanted to put down like and that was the first book that had done that for me in a while um and also just the fact that um it yeah like you said it taught me a lot more about myself that I thought I knew but I didn't know and it also taught me to like reinvestigate the way that I look at blackness and like also the way that I look at anti-blackness like coming from um black people or non-black people um so I think it's just really been really important um in like the sort of progress of my thoughts on my skin color and like um on like organizing and like what it means to be um a revolutionary and for folks who don't know um and this can be for either of you who is Asada <clears throat> Asada is my mother. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Asada, I don't want to just give her a basic title that everyone else, like, many of the, the title was like, oh, it was the black woman who shot a cop and got away with an escape from prison or, you know, fled to Cuba or, you know, even not even that. It was a lady who was, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, the word is gone, but she, she was a... Uh, they framed her of accusing, you know, of killing the cops and stuff like that. But for me, it's much more different. I see Asada as like a per, like actual person of being, not her story. And Asada to me is a role model more than anything. Is there anything that you would add, Patricia? Um, all that I think is also really important to add that like she started out as just the average black girl. Like she wasn't like her parents weren't like leaders in the movement or there wasn't anything that drew her to like trying to free herself but herself um and I just think that's important for everybody like when like when like asking like oh how do I like get involved or like how do I um like help or like why do I care and it's just like nobody needs to lead you to the answer but you um and I think yeah she was just average at first and then she became this big person but like and she didn't even have to become who she is like she didn't have to become a matriarch or like an icon to still be like super important to what it means to like be a black girl who's like trying to learn how to free her people and free herself um but yeah and so the book starts where with the, the, the case that sort of most people come to know Asada for. Um, okay, so a few quick myth bestings, right? So um, sometimes people know of Asada and they're like, oh yeah, Tupac's mom. Um, she, uh, Asada was her his godmother, but not biological. And it also we always want to push back on why it is that we can only understand women's stories in, when they're framed around their relationship to other men. Um, and so that's something that's somewhat uh, special about her as well is that other than that, there's not really any man that's strongly associated with her. Um, but she is known at this point for being on the FBI's top 10 most wanted terrorist list. And she's there because um, on a New Jersey turnpike, there was a shootout amongst um, people in her car and the police and a police officer and her friend ended up dead and she's charged with murder. And that's where the story begins. But then what happens with the book? Is it Does it just start and move forward from that moment on? Um, or what else does the book tell us about Asada? Um. I think it's kind of just a guide to everything about Asada because it is jumping back and forth between, like, her past life growing up and, like, the trial. Um, so, yeah, I think Asada does an amazing job of, like, recounting all the events that happened, like, 
leading up to the trial and after the trial and why she, while she's in um, different prisons. Um, but she also just tells, like, it's it's a biography. She tells us about her childhood. She tells us about um, where she grew up, um, the things that, like, the most important things that, like, kind of led to her getting into the organizations that she was in or, like, asking the questions. Like, yeah, I think that's the most important part. Like, she tells us the questions that she asked that made her do, like, join certain groups or, like, go to college or, like, have certain experiences. And I think they're, like, questions that we we've all asked ourselves like um in one event where she is going to I forgot where she was but she goes goes to a store and she like buys a poster um but it's she's not supposed to be there and she's a little girl at the time um and I think like her her central question for that specific chapter was like um why does it matter if I'm black or not like I can I have the money. Why shouldn't I be able to buy something from the store? Um, and I think like she poses those questions throughout the book in very inexplicit ways. Um, I feel like I'm just going on a tangent and rambling now, but <laughs> <laughs> so she, I think that, so it was one thing that you mentioned that's important about this book and I've seen it copied or imitated a few times since like Frank Wilderson's book does this as well, but it, it starts in sort of the present and yeah. then every chapter it, it wrote every other chapter is about from the moment of the shooting on the turnpike to her escape from prison right. and then the in this it's sandwiched sandwiched by chapters where it starts with her her childhood right and so half of the story is from when she's born and half of the story is from the turnpike um and so uh, i want us to get back to talking about you know, what happens, How? what is her experience with the police and with the prisons and the hospital and the court system? But let's start with her childhood. Like, what do you, so she's growing up under Jim Crow. Um, and can you tell us more what you remember about what her childhood was like um, and, and what she, what other questions she was thinking through? Well, a lot that I remember about her childhood, it was like, I was able to remember like how, it wasn't far off from mine and how, it, you know, when I talked to, you know, my associates, my peers about it, it wasn't far off from theirs. And then it was kind of so like a situation where I remember a situation where, you know, she lived, you know, she stayed with her grandparents a lot. And this is where I seen like a, a conflict in the black community itself. Um, her grandparents were like proud black people, but in a way put on, put down their own race. And I forgot what, they called, you know, pro the, alley rats. Yeah. the alley rats, right? Them, they call black people, you know, like um, today we call hood rats, you know, you know, ratchets. They call them alley rats and they're saying, you don't hang out with them and this and that. But on a, you know, it's kind of like, why can't I hang out with my own people? But on the flip side, they'll tell her, like, don't ever let no, you know, white person tell you that you're not good enough and this is and that. And it's kind of like, in in a way, you know, that I, I connected back to, you know, my family, like, I always call my family bougie because that's exactly what it is. Like, you know, I'm not allowed to, you know, go all the way on the west side and hang out with them, you know, people on the west side, you know. You know, and I think it's okay to hang out with my black community and people that, you know, I don't really know in different parts of the city because Chicago is so segregated even within the community. Um, but at the same time, it was like I didn't associate with white people at all either because it was just kind of like they 
it was always taught to me that they see you as negative, so you don't associate with them at all. It's kind of like, okay, well, if I'm separating myself from my real community, my people, and I'm separating myself from, you know, high people, like, who, who, who do I sit with, you know? I'm just going to sit by myself and try to make another community, which it's okay, but at the same time, it's not okay because at the end of the day, everyone's supposed to be together, come together. And her childhood just really expresses all of that in one. And it, it really leads to, it, and throughout the book, it just explains why the, she did the things she did. Like I feel like each chapter of her childhood, the next chapter throughout the ch- trial is like, she'll have that big question, like Patricia shared that posing question. And then the reason why she pro- you know chose that solution or whatever, and she'll connect it back to her childhood. Like, well, it makes sense. And, and I just feel like we all deserve, we like not deserve, but we all should make choices as, in that way, but in the way that we all do. So the book is really relatable in that sense. Can you add, what, what's, um, what was she like as a kid? Uh, so she has, she spends most of her early years with her grandparents, is taught to be a proud, black, respectable woman, young or kid or whatever. She goes back north. Um, lives with her aunt for a while, uh, the lawyer Evelyn, I believe, um, and things happen. Um, but yeah, so what? But what? What? You know, was she a goody two shoes? Like, was she always super radical and like, oh yeah, black people? No, I don't think. I think it was sort of a combination of both. Like a lot of, um, for instance, um, I don't think she was always radical in the sense of like, oh, I want to free black people. Like, um, she talked about when she was in junior high. Um, that she was like also anti-black and she like like she talked about this boy that liked her and like would bring her flowers and stuff Um, but she was like embarrassed of the fact that because he was really dark-skinned she was embarrassed of the fact that he liked her and I think he asked her to go out go with him or something (laughs) like to be his girlfriend (laughs) yeah (laughs) um and she said no and she and he said why and she said because something like you're black and ugly like something you too black or something um and like just throughout her like she's recounting like experiences like that but also like she liked to read and she liked to do like things that normal little girls like to do um i think she i think most mostly though like in her junior high experience and in high school experience she recounts like learning about things in like sort of twisted ways um like when she gets into college and she has these friends who um who are like not radical but like sort of intellectuals um and she like sees things different from them like when she talks about communism and like how she was taught to um understand communism and how like Americans are just taught to not like to be against communism but they don't know what it is um and she just said she just recounts like a lot of the instances of her being taught to be against something but not completely understanding what they are or what they mean or like even why um we are against it it's just like you hear the word communism and you think okay that's bad anything associated with that is bad um and yeah, I think, what else? I'm trying to think of more things from her childhood. Oh, um, she like her grandparents, when she was living with her grandparents. Oh, no, no, I don't think that's that important. More importantly is that she worked a lot or like she, because um, she had to live on her own for a while. Um, and she worked as like, was it like a bus girl or something? Or like one of those girls who like tries to get the men to buy more drinks. Mm-hmm. But nobody knew that she was only like, 12 or 14 or something like that um 
And I think, like, also, like, her recounting those experiences were super important because, like, she talks about sexism and, like, she talks about um, how she almost, like, she was she was in this guy's apartment. I don't remember why she was there, though. Um, and he tries to rape her and, like, yeah. The, the guy told her that he asked her if she wanted to go to a party and they brought her back to she he brought him he he brought her back to his house and then like all his friends showed up and they tried to rape her and um she had to think fast to get out of the situation I remember. do you remember how she get, it's kind of brilliant i love it okay so mind you that they're all just you know probably just teenagers you know just trying to well the boys are obviously dumb but trying to have fun or whatever so he still lives with his parents and so she i guess i think she bumps into something she knocks it down he's like yo be careful my mom oh yeah and he's like yo be careful my mom's gonna kill me if i break anything and have to mess it up so she instantly grabs anything she can find and you know start breaking stuff and she's like if you don't let me let me go i'm gonna tear this whole house apart which is very brilliant because wow just this smart <laughs> she breaks a couple of things if I remember right. Right. Um, just to be like, I'm serious. I'll break your whole house. Yeah. Like, but I wanted to touch back with what Patricia said about how um, she was calling a little boy who liked her. You know, um, you know, she she didn't like him back. Was embarrassed about him liking her because of his skin color. Um, that's something else that I found really important in the book. She is a whole chapter. On um, not a whole chapter, but a couple of pages, most of the chapter, on how um, you know, how in grammar school, like how the kids talk to each other, and it was kind of like we, they always roughhouse and stuff like that. And this is what I didn't notice about the community until then, and about us until then. It was kind of like she was saying like the worst insults. All you had to do was uh, describe, you know, a, a black feature, like put black in front of anything, and like it's different. We calling somebody. Um, ugly, and then calling them black ugly, like it's a whole nother level of insult. And it's kind of like, well, you know, or it's different calling somebody, you know, uh, like, huh, what about like fat forehead, and then calling them black fat forehead. It's like something like a, a whole nother level. And then it's kind of, she's like, that's what leads to most of um, the fights and the arguments in her grammar school. And it's kind of like, there you see like how much self hate there was like talk to us like institutionalized talk to us um not just us but you know like everyone is kind of like uh, every minority is kind of like you know we're taught to hate ourselves because just from you know a common you know what's the word I'm looking for I can't talk <laughs> yeah a common characteristic of uh, a black person it was seen as a negative you know what I'm saying like big lips and uh, and a bigger nose, stuff like that. Anything like that was seen negative. So, also she talked about like what she was taught in school and like who she was taught or who they were thought taught to think of as like heroes of American culture and like she mentioned Lincoln and like how like like we're all kind of taught like I remember being taught the same thing here. He freed the slaves and like he's this person who should be hailed as like this great guy because he signed the emancipation proclamation and then like um she butts in in her present voice and she's like but lincoln didn't free the slaves because he liked black people or because he wanted slavery to be over like he only freed the slaves because um of like 
economics or like to save the union right like he wanted to save the union and he didn't want like he didn't want the split he didn't want the civil war he just wanted everybody to be happy and he's like if i could have freed the slaves i would have freed i mean if i could have kept people enslaved and saved the union i would have done that but he couldn't um and i think like that's also really important like i think like with both of those instances she's teaching us to like not only rethink the way we um feel about certain things that we were just inherit that like we just inherited that we don't even realize we still hold particular viewpoints on but also like to question why we are even taught those things and like why it's important that we are being taught that abraham lincoln or 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 why is it important that we be taught the reason instead of just like, oh, he freed the slaves. That's all you need to know. Like, it doesn't matter why. Um, and like, just to always like question why, why, why are things being taught to you in this way? Or why did this happen? Um, because like, if I would have raised my hand in third grade when people were like, oh, Lincoln freed the slaves and been like, why did he free the slaves? I'm pretty sure like the whole class would have been like, oh, this is like, he just false flag. And like, he not real. <laughs> like he didn't do it for the real reason. Um, so yeah, I just thought that was important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and she, um, th- it takes her years and years and years. Like this book, I think all of us shared a sort of you, uh, an experience where you pick it up and then you can't put it down. And so you read it very quickly, but it's documenting a lot of a long, long time. And I remember she's in college when I think one of you mentioned it. She's at uh, like a cafe and the Africans, as she refers to them, come in and are talking about communism and the war in Vietnam. And she realizes very quickly she doesn't know half of what she doesn't understand what they're saying that they know so much more um and what do you remember about how she goes from sort of in her teenage years right she runs away a lot um just figuring out how to survive to she goes to college she makes uh i think that's when she really starts to write poetry to becoming a member of the black panther party and the black liberation army um i think i i think i would like put as a place marker for like her significant start into becoming all of that is when one of her friends, like the African friends comes to her apartment by, like, I don't know if he's supposed to come in or they're supposed to go out, but she has to go back to her apartment and he looks in her apartment and he's like, it's a mess. Um, and she realizes that like, in order to like become organized, she has to organize every part like of her life. Like it can't just be um, like an organization of the mind. Like it has to be a physical thing too. Um, and like she's in and out of groups like she I remember like her being in college and like sitting in on meetings where she would just like recount how everybody was like either like they're just preaching to each other and like nothing's really changing because they're just sitting there preaching to each other um and just like her experiences with I can't remember the specific groups but like her experiences with all the groups and like what made her either stay or leave um and when it comes to the Black Panthers, in case there are folks who all they know is what they're taught in history class, which for, in my case was horrible, what do you think people need to know about the Black Panther Party to understand when we say she was a member? What it, what were they doing that you think is noteworthy? Um, I think they were just like treating their community the way that the community deserved to be treated. Things that people weren't doing for it, like um, they started the free the free breakfast program. Um, they were majority women. Uh, they fought. I don't know. It's a lot of. It's, it's a lot of. Things. This is like a mini quiz too on our last unit. Um, uh, to add on what Patricia said, I wanted to you know say like how the Black Panther Party was like um, 
it's like an eye opener to like equality because it was more so like the way I see it is like more so like whatever you do to me, I'm gonna do to you, and it's exactly that. And like they were not afraid to fight back, and they had rifles, and it was just just like that. And it's kind of like if the police put their hands on them, they'll put their hands back. They say anything to them, they say it back, you know. But also like they wasn't just acting off emotion; like it was logically because. The biggest weapon that they could ever have was the law, and they had the the law book in their hand. You know, with every mission that they that's a mission like the superheroes. Um, <laughs> um, with every you know interaction they had with um, you know white people and stuff like that, and it was kind of like you know this. I like that because it's kind of like it was teaching them like, well, white people that you know. And to see how you like it. Like, this is, this is, this is feel good. And obviously, they didn't like how I felt because they just got even more violent and more emotional and had to have their egos take over. But, you know, whatever. And the Black Panther Party was deconstructed because of COINTELPRO, which just, like, um, infiltrated the party with, like, using spies and, like, other things. But also um, just, like, making them fearful by... Do, like, using different tactics to, like, break down their leaders. Um, and that's what I think was really important, too, because, like, I, if I remember correctly, they couldn't, like, have jobs. You couldn't have, like, a job and be in the Black Panther Party because, like, it was a full-time thing. Like, you had to dedicate all of your time and all of your life to. Um, but just thinking about, like, that narrative of COINTELPRO and also, like, what hap- what ends up happening to Asada and how important that is just to, like, the narrative of her being, quote-unquote, cop killer um because like everybody well not just everybody in the black well all the leaders of the black panther party but like also just the leaders of the civil rights movement and like all the movements that were going on then were sort of infiltrated by this system which was like COINTELPRO is this thing created by the FBI to like neutralize and like yeah Uh, (laughs) but um just like thinking like people don't think of like for instance people don't think of Martin Luther King in the same way that people think of Asada like people think of like white people like Martin Luther King like that's who you should look up to as far as like how to organize and how to like free yourself but um the same things that happened to Asada happened to Dr. King just in different ways and I think that's also interesting like thinking like well one that like Asada was more or the Black Panther Party were more of like more violent and Martin, Dr. King was like the non-violent but also like the fact that Asada was a woman and like that she like had to be like there was a lot of things that had to be posted on her before the thing even happened at the turnpike like she was accused of bank robberies and so on and so forth um but just yeah like she wasn't the only person in the Black Panther Party or even just in the movement itself that were targeted by the FBI um, and framed. So she, um, so Asada is known as, or referred to as sort of the mother hen, right, of the Black Panther Party and the Black Liberation Army. Um, uh, you know, a group that's known for its militancy um, and its for, like fierce love of its people and it, the, its community programs. Um, and so, like you were saying, she's framed repeatedly um, and, it, and the story where it starts or the book where it starts is on that turnpike. So after the shootout happens, it starts with sort of Asada waking up, right? She's knocked unconscious. What medical experts say is because of 
you know, she it was impossible for to her, her to have shot the police officer because she herself was shot in her arm and it was paralyzed. Um, and so she comes to with a paralyzed arm and police everywhere. So what happens from that point of the story on? What are some of the things that she experiences? Um, you want to talk? You want me to talk? Oh, um, I just remember her experience being like extremely violent, like especially in the hospital, the police would torment her and um, like poke at her and like um, like the nurses tried to help. They like tried to say, oh, you can't do that because she's like in this like condition or whatever. And they would like do other little things to scare her. Um, like, were they doing stuff with her eyes or something? Yeah, they put that stuff on their fingers, like, chemicals on their fingers and poke her in the eye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, she just had, like, a very violent experience. Like, I guess f- you can say from the moment, well, like, all her life, really. But, like, from the moment she ends up in the hospital to the moment she ends up in prison and, like, back to trial and back to trial, police are constantly trying to, like, intimidate her and make her feel, like, afraid. Um. Yeah, torture. She was tortured. Um, yeah, can you say more? I mean, because it's, it's now been well documented, um, the conditions of when she was in the hospital and in prison as torture. Um, and, so, like, yeah, so the stain, like, they would beat her in places that wouldn't bruise. Yeah. They poked her in the eyes with chemicals. But do you remember other things that they were doing either in the hospital or also later that her childhood helped prepare mm-hmm. her for? One thing that I remember so vividly because I pictured in my head, they were playing Russian roulette with her. And the only reason that's so, I just, that's so dangerous. Like, for those who don't know what Russian roulette is, is you put one bullet in a gun and you spin the revolver or whatever and um, where it lands and, you know, and then you, you point it towards your head or someone else's head and you shoot, you know, and it's kind of like, it's like your life is in the hands of God, you know, it's kind of what it is. And, and that's, that's like, I just, picturing yourself or someone that you love in that situation, and it's like, I saw like an article about it like a while back, like kids were doing it like for fun and it was kind of like, I could never just imagine like, the fear that she had at that very moment, you know, it's kind of like, or everything else, like, I feel like she, because she was strong, she just knew, like, okay, my eyes are going to hurt for a while, my my skin is going to hurt for a while, it's going to bruise, but she didn't know when that gun was going to go off. She never knew if that bullet was going to land in her head or not, you know what I'm saying? And so that was just, like, something I really vividly pick, remember. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else is kind of like, <sighs> like, petty mm-hmm cop stuff that was unnecessary yeah i i mean that it's half the book it's a lot about the court or the 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 trial um i'm curious i'll let you if you were there's something else that you wanted to say say it but also like what were some of the ways that you remember that she resisted um whether with you know guards um or or judges um well, I do. This is more toward the end of the book, but I do remember. I think I marked this off as like my favorite part. Um, but it's like, yeah, it's like the beginning of chapter fourteen where she like reconnects with the police officer who was in the original. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. I think he was like in the hospital with her, um, and he like is telling her all these things that like. Like, he basically got docked down or something, and he got in trouble for all the things that happened to her, and then she's laughing at him, and, like, 
all the other cops are laughing too um and like she's kind of like tormenting him or like teasing him in the same way that they did her when she was in the hospital because like that is kind of silly to be like oh i got dug down and you like but i but asada got hidden her eyes and like tortured and like she became paranoid like she was afraid for her life in jail and she almost died and you got ducked down haha <laughs> like sorry you still have a job you still have a life to live um and I think that was like really cool like she did little stuff like I think her strongest at least for me like when reading it when she was in prison I think her strongest like way of resisting was her mouth just like the fact that she wouldn't let anybody like scare her like anybody like everybody wanted I think everybody was trying to just make her be quiet and she never gave them that satisfaction um even like she made like little contraptions like she made this thing so that um if somebody like tried to come in her cell or whatever came by her cell I forgot what it was like cans or something but like yeah you just I was hoping you would talk about this yeah this is my part everyone knows (laughs) I love this part this is the most genius thing I've ever ever Okay, so um, because she was so paranoid, she she knew that they were, the guards were watching her in her sleep and stuff like that. Um, I think it was around the time she was she was pregnant and she didn't know or something like that. And uh, she had like t- ten cups and whatnot from food and 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 you know and plates stuff like that. She had a little table and she would set it up in a way where if the door opened everything would fall. So it was like a little alarm, you know what I'm saying? And it was kind of like, it would make just like loud, it would make loud clashing noise and she would instantly get up. And I remember that she said, it was one night, the cups and whatnot fell and she was just looking at, she turned around, looked the officer in, in his eye and they was looking at each other for a minute. He just walked out and it was kind of funny to me because it was like, oh, you get caught. But you know, <laughs> you know, that's, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the, where it is our duty to fight comes from? Well, it, I think it, this is from the letter she wrote on July 4th. Um, so she, like, I don't remember why she wrote the letter, though. But she wrote a letter to, like, just black revolutionaries and, like, just to her people um, about, like, what she had gone through and, like, um, the significance or insignificance of July 4th to black people. It's somewhere in there. Um, and she ends it with that poem um it is our duty to fight for our freedom etc etc we all know the mantra um i wish i could look at it so that i could talk about it more but (laughs) um it's there yeah yes um but 30 52 so it's on page 52 (laughs) or the actual oh yeah it's on page 52 um and she's just like I think she's talking about herself, but she does it in a way that's, like, so impersonal and, like, very humble where she's, like, giving, like, paying homage to, like, all the people who sacrificed their lives for freedom. Um, I'm just, can you guys remind me of why she wrote this? Because I forgot. Um, Paige, you can interject. Oh, my God. It, if I missed something, but I'm pretty sure um, she was talking to her lawyer, Evelyn, which is her aunt, and... um. She was saying, because it was the fourth, she was saying, like, I remember her saying, like, the fourth wasn't for them. There was no independence for black people. It was just, like, something that, you know, white people had gone through and they was proud of. And it just, like, everybody had a day off work or something like that. And um, she was, like, I remember her starting off with, like, apologizing to her black community, saying, like, I'm sorry for being on the turnpike. Um, she knew it was, like, a, check, a checkpoint for black people and stuff like that. And... 
like it was kind of like in a way and it was also like not allowed at all like the recording was most definitely out of it was out of, out of jurisdiction for the trial and in a way um I just remember towards the end, she just apologized, like, not apologizing, but she was telling people, like, what was needed to, you know, seek revolution. And that was what the poem was. The entire thing was, it was our, it is our duty to fight for our freedom. It is our duty to win. We must love each other and support each other. We have nothing to lose but our chains. And um, she's like, before she, you know, says that, she says, we must gain our liberation by any means necessary. It's really, it's really ironic, really, that she's writing this on July 4th. Like, we all know why, but, like, mm-hmm. because it's supposed to be when Americans are free, but we're still, like, trying to... She's still having to draft, like, this statement of us, like, finding freedom, and we're still having to look for it in places. Um, and I just thought, like... I thought that was really excellent of her to, like, send this on that, in that particular day. Mm-hmm. And... S- Okay, so I guess the spoiler, right, um, is, so part of why she writes the letter, the only thing I can add is she can hear her people uh, outside the prison, um, she, and, but she has no way of letting them know that she can hear them and she appreciates them and she loves them, but she's also kind of like, get back to work. Um, so she writes this letter to her people, um, and her people, I mean, they organize around her, and eventually the spoiler is like, they bust her out of prison, right? And she lives to this day in Cuba um, and is living her life. I guess she owns a bookstore down there and like, doing her thing Um, she's a grandmother and this ties back to something that one of you mentioned about how she gets pregnant um, in the most dehumanizing place that humans have are have have created um every technology that's meant to like tear you down and take your humanity from you she creates life um and so can you talk more about that process or, or not process that what happens uh um and anything else that you want to say about the the kid <laughs> Okay, <laughs> so, um, can you what was his name? I know it started with an S. I think Sun- it was Sundiata. Sundi. I was a uh, Sundiata Akoli. Does that sound right? Acholi. I don't know. Right. I I now I read in my head. I said Sundiati, but you okay. know. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um. So it was her friend that was accused, and they were trying to press them on charges with anything just to get them booked or whatever. And they accused both of them of robbing a bank together and stuff like that, which was physically impossible. But anyway, um, and the reason they were, I guess they were really close friends and the child just made them closer. And she was like, the only reason, you know, that, that was like his, at the time he was like her only happiness, what made her happy be, just going to the trials just to see him, just to see a familiar face and to see a face that's on her side and stuff like that. And um, I remember the reason why they had time to create life or whatever, because they were being destructive, destructive, disruptive in court, um, yelling and and calling out to the jury because the jury was was um, white. It was white. There was no black people. It was like you can't win. Um, was you know none of their people on trial. And I was trying to tell them like this isn't fair. There's no, you know, equality is the net, so he's yelling. So the judge kicked him out, put him in this cold, isolated room where they could see the trial, but, you know, they weren't a part of it. And um, they were just talking at that point. And um, 
can't pronounce his name. I'm saying Sundiety because I feel like that's what it is. Um, we're just telling her, like, you know, asking, why don't you have a baby? And, and, and you know, she was like, I don't want to bring a kid into this world. And, you know, I'm pretty sure she was thinking about all the things that she had to go through. And she was like, I don't want to put my child in that place. And it's nowhere near time for that. And he was just like, I think he was just basically preaching to her, like, the revolution is the children, you know, and, you know, it's going to be, they're the ones who's going to continue the legacy and stuff like that and really change their mind and, I don't know, spit game, right, with the, <laughs> the black power, spit game, the black power wave, and boo up the bam, mm-hmm. and um, she got pregnant. <laughs> the, the Panthers have, like, some really problematic history in terms of how they talked about pregnancy and women and babies and women's role as ovaries for the movement. Um, but there's something, why I love the that, that part of the book is it leads to my favorite poem. And I have it tattooed on me like twice. It's, there's like art of it throughout my house. Like it's, um, she writes a poem to her unborn child that is sort of like the motto, the unofficial motto or slogan of Asada's daughters, we are a conspiracy, meaning we breathe together. Um, and that's why I bring it up. And But you also, through her experiences, because she's there for unusual reasons, and, and at first she's put in like a men's prison, and the, the, which is very important to, and thought-provoking. Um, but she meets a lot of other women who are incarcerated and she's, she really, she experiences, um, while she's there for extraordinary political reasons, she's learning a lot about the nature of the incarceration of women. And most of the women that are there are not there for, because of their politics. They're there for like shoplifting for their kids or for getting busted for like being a drug mule for their boyfriends. Right. Um, and she's learning a lot about what prisons like for women and this is written at the time where the, the like from that moment on the, per, the percentage of women being locked up explodes um, and it's the fastest growing prison population today and then she experiences what it's like to be pregnant and in jail and so can you talk a little bit about some of the things that she has to go through um, with her pregnancy I don't know why but I think like I remember this part the best I don't know why that's important to me but um, or like the most important to me um, but she just talked a lot about, like, I think I remember the most is, like, it was another kind of, like, way they, like, thing they used to torture her. Um, like, for a long time, they wouldn't let her, allow her to have her own doctor. And, like, she had to go to, through, like, sort of self-destructive measures to get that. Like, she wouldn't see a doctor unless, like, she trusted them. And, like, they tried to give her a black doctor who, like, called her sister. And she was like, I don't trust you. So, <laughs> um, but, like, she eventually, like gets the things she needs but like it takes a long time and like like just thinking about the fact that like it's they're so vile that they would keep someone who's um pregnant from like receiving the proper care because like at this point it's not about you torturing Asada or like what Asada means she but it's like you're bringing an unborn child into your racist mess um and I think I'm sorry I forgot what's going um but yeah um so she like goes through all of that um and i think evelyn is also her lawyer slash aunt person is also like fighting for her to get the proper medical care Mm -hmm. um and i think like that is also really important to her because those are like the few times that she gets to leave the prison and like go outside um to like doctors and stuff for her pregnancy um and then like i remember like once the baby is born it's taken from her um and she like 
rarely gets to see like except for when it visit when she visits visitation she has a girl so let's stop calling it it um and i think the, the one other significant part i don't remember exactly what was said but like this is like the part leading up this is like the chapter right before she breaks out when her daughter says to her like um you can leave you can get out of here and she's telling her daughter i can't um and then they like take her daughter away from her and she's like trying to hold on for to her for as long as she can and that's when she realizes like i need to get out of here like even if the police or like the jury the trial isn't letting me do that like i need to make a way out um and yeah i think like that's also really cool that like the thing that led her to write a poem about like being conspiracy and like giving like like you said giving life in one of the most vile places on earth like also leads to her freedom like she creates her own freedom like literally mm-hmm. <laughs> um. mm, that's beautiful yeah i just wanted to add um i feel like another really important thing was just um to look at just like the denial of the baby with like the police officers like that they just i remember like for a long time the prison doctor wouldn't even tell her that she was pregnant and he knew that she was pregnant just saying oh you have a stomach flu or you know that she was sick it was like the denial of the baby was kind of like and i know it's kind of crazy they're probably thinking like well how is she pregnant in what way and what possible i mean but it was the night the night whoa the denial of the baby which really pushed things along and i feel like that gave her the real motivation it's like you're not going to deny me of what's inside of me and i know it's here which is really why i see her as such a role model because i i call it the mom i say mamas get super superpowers once they have children because it's like some type of strength like a mental physical emotional strength and when it comes to their their children or some some person they feel as their child is unmatched it's undeniable it can't be broken what so you said a couple times that you consider her to be a role model um and i'm wondering if there are other things that you can say like what both what does asada mean to you and this this maybe is a two-part question like what does asada mean to you and what what did you learn like what what um what did you learn about yourself about blackness about history about like what what are the main lessons of the book Asada is my mother, and she don't know me, but I know her, and I love her. But um, I call her my role model because, um, to me, it's kind of like, I don't, not, you know, everyone has a good relationship with their parents, and I don't have a very good relationship with my mother, but you learn things from your mother. And I feel like any person, any woman role model, any older woman that I can learn from is like, now a part of me because you've taught me something I feel like that's the best gift you can give someone is the knowledge mm-hmm. and she just taught me through this book like you are black and you're real and it's going to get hard and it is hard but the strength that you have and the beauty that you have is unmatched and as a black woman completely you are put down the most you're a minority and you're a female. You're put down the most, but you're worth so much more. And you're not a rock. You're a gem. You're a diamond. And that's what she really taught me. And that's where a lot of my confidence has grown from. Because like, even though the road may get tough and you know people put me down, it's kind of like she awakened me into this this whole new spectrum of 
I don't want to be redundant, but this whole new spectrum of being a black woman, and it's a beautiful spectrum, and I'm sorry if you can't relate. <laughs> no <I> shade. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I like, I think Asada is so important to me, like, specifically, like, this book is because she isn't, like, like, not a lot of people get a chance to write a whole book about themselves. And, like, people who do, like, if you're going to write a book about yourself, first of all, that's sort of narcissistic. But, like, mm-hmm. a narcissistic person is only going to tell you about all the things they had to go through, what they accomplished, like, and, like, how they fought. Like, they were a good person and they fought all the battles that faced them. But, like, Asada is, like, very real about who she was versus who she is. And, like, even some of the things that, like, like, I can disagree with Asada and, like, I don't... I think that's really important, like, for anybody you think of as, like, somebody you look up to or, like, somebody as your role model is for you to remember that they're human. And I think, like, she makes herself human in a lot of this book. But also, like, um, I think, like, the fact that, like, people are continually learning and, like, growing and, like, that can be done, like, no matter how old you are. I think, like, mostly, like, she gives me hope because um like there's so much hope like throughout this book and I know that's like sort of cliche but like that's just like what it is it's just like pure hope and I think like also like through her telling her telling us about her family life helps me a little bit with my family because like I think a lot of, like a lot of people can relate like no matter what race you are but like a lot of I think one of my biggest problems with my family is like um specifically my grandmother's like one who just passed and one who's still here um just like opening up to them about like my true identity and like like the entirety of me because like they're both from the south and they're both like extremely homophobic but like being like able to know that like people only like people a lot of people only have isms because they're taught to have isms and because those things are inherited And I think that, like, that's what Asada talks about a lot. But also, like, those things can be taken away. If if you want them to, all you have to do is, like, put the work into, like, unlearning. And I think, like, that's kind of, like, the mantra of this book is, like, unlearning and then relearning and then, or deconstructing and then reconstructing. Um, And I think, like, Asada just teaches us that it doesn't take a lot to do that. Like, it's not it's nowhere near impossible like no matter what's thrown at you because she gets a lot of shit thrown at her um and yeah like that's really important to me like just knowing that no matter what happens or like no matter how weak you feel like all it takes is like a question to change something um and I think that's extremely powerful so all right well we are at that time um and I just want to thank you both for a really beautiful conversation. Um, this is the most personal interview that I've done. Like this, this represents um, a lot more than just like another episode of the Lit Review. Like, every, like all of my days are devoted into um, carrying on this tradition, right, and helping young people and supporting young people to survive and to carry on the tradition um, and to hear you all talk through these things like it brings me a level of joy and hope that I hope you feel one day um I hope you get to experience what I just experienced it's it's one of the greatest gifts so thank you for everything including the last 50 minutes um I'm gonna ask uh for us to close in the traditional way where we'll have Imani's gonna read her favorite part uh, but before that if you could each 
maybe one day Asada will hear this. We, we, you know, we've named ourselves after her and we've never known if she knows that we exist. Um, but uh, in the case, in case she's listening, is there anything that you would like to say to her? Um, and then when you both have spoken, you can read your favorite part. Look, <laughs> I don't even know if Asada would like, <laughs> I'm not even going to say what I really want to say because I don't know if she would like that. But <laughs> um, I would just say like, I don't know if there's anything I can say to her that I f- feel like she doesn't already know um, or like doesn't already feel or sense because like I feel like she like knows the impact that she's made on like black women and girls and films around like the world just like black people um, but I would say like oh I would say thank you for introducing me to the notion that it can be illegal to be racist because she talks about how, like, in Cuba they tell her it's illegal to be racist. Um, And I think, like, making... I think nobody's ever made racism a physical thing. And I think, like, making that a physical thing just starts... Starts, like a conversation and like a path like to deconstructing it that hasn't been started before nobody's ever made that a physical thing um and also just like if you are listening i would really like to come visit you (laughs) (laughs) and just um fangirl and yeah i feel like my thing wasn't that important but like i just really can't figure out anything to say that she doesn't already know i love you and i thank you for everything that you've taught me um going off what patricia said i love you with all my heart and i claim you as my mother's how you know maybe one day if you want another daughter i'm here for you you know um i just i do want to thank you though for um being uh uh not physically here but a mentor to me and every female that I associate with because there's not a time where I don't have the lessons that you've taught me in the back of my mind, even if you didn't mentally, I mean, if you didn't, yeah, physically try to teach them, if you didn't, wasn't purposely trying to teach them, it was still a lesson that I would never got anywhere else. And I also just want to say, you know, along with Patricia said, you know, them two tickets to Cuba would be nice. You know, just to come see you. It will help you clean up the bookstore, all that stuff, you know. But, you know, just just saying. Um, and then you're going to close this out, right? Okay, yes. I'm going to close you guys out, us out, yeah, with Rhinoceros. <laughs> with the poem Rhinoceros Woman in the Asada uh, biography, autobiography um, on page 62, 63, and... 64. Rhinoceros woman, nobody wants and everybody use. They say you're crazy because you're not crazy enough to kneel when told to kneel. Hey, big woman with scars on the head and scars on the heart that never seemed to heal. I saw your light and it was shining. You gave them love. You gave them shit. You gave them you. They gave you Hollywood. They purred you because they because you know how to roar and back it up with realness. Rhinoceros woman, big woman in little world, you closed your eyes and neon spun inside your head because it was dark outside. You read your Bible, but God never came. Your daddy would have loved you, but what would the neighbors say? 
They hate you, mama, because you expose their madness and their cruelty. They can see in your eyes a thousand nightmares that they have made come true. Black woman, bad woman, wear your bigness on your chest like a badge because you've, you've done earned it. Strong woman, Amazon, wear your scars like jewelry because they, they were bought with blood. They call you mad and almost had you believe in that shit. They called you ugly and you hid yourself behind yourself and wallowed in, this, in their shame. Rhinoceros woman, this world is blind and slight of mind and cannot see how beautiful you are. I saw your light and it was shining. another episode of the lit review a podcast where we interview people we love and respect about books for the movement we are your co-hosts monica trinidad and Paige may two chicago-based organizers special shout out to the lit review's very own sponsor the arcus center for social justice leadership out of kalamazoo college keep your eyes and ears open for another episode next monday same time same place want to hear about a specific book Email us at thelitreviewchicago at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. And if you like this episode, give it a shout out on Twitter or Instagram. Our handle is at litreviewshy. Keep reading! Keep reading.